Well, again, thanks for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. My name is George Davis. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to the second chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. As you're doing that, by the way, I just want to welcome the latest individuals to go through our new members class, Paul and Amanda, as well as Jeremy. I want to thank them for doing that, for doing it online, and uh, encourage you that if, if you're part of our church but have yet to go through that process, that make sure you pay attention to the ongoing opportunities we have for you to go through the membership process. Now, as a church, uh, we've been talking about building bridges with others, being intentional in, in taking relational next steps with people uh, around us, to do that because we're followers of Jesus Christ. However, as, as we've also been talking about over the last few weeks, the reality is building bridges can be complicated due to various cultural factors that are pulling us apart. With that in mind, we're in this short series called Bridging the Divide, where we're talking about how we engage these cultural issues that at times can be very divisive. And this morning, we are talking about the issue of race. Now, for a variety of reasons, um, issues, questions, problems surrounding race are part of our cultural landscape. And at times, uh, these issues really seem to be front and center. I think perhaps most recently with the death of George Floyd and, and all of the protests, which at times became violent, uh, all of that was just right in our face uh, for part of this year. And I think if we're honest, as we start talking about this issue, we need to recognize that this can be hard to talk about. This can be powerful emotionally to talk about. And let's just acknowledge why it can be hard to talk about these issues. I think one of the reasons it's hard to talk about race is this. Um, this, this topic, it's, it's complex. The issues of race are complex issues. And I think sometimes we get into trouble because we are looking for simple solutions to complex problems. I think for some of us, perhaps, we want to look at these issues and we, all we want to say is, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. It's not the 1950s, and, and that's all we want to see. Others of us look at this issue and, and all we want to say is this, look how far we have to go. Look how far we have to go. And, and all we want to see are the negative factors associated with race. But this, this topic is complicated, and, and I think we need to acknowledge that. Furthermore, it, it's complicated because when we discuss this topic, um, it can involve all sorts of explosive terms. Think about some of the terminology that it is, it is, it is involved in our conversations about race. White privilege. Cultural Marxism, Black Lives Matter, woke. All of, these, all of these terms are loaded terms. They come with lots of associations and, and they generate lots of responses, both positive and negative. So right at the beginning, we, we've got to acknowledge, you know what, this is hard to talk about because it's complex. I think it's also hard to talk about because it's personal. Um, in preparing for this message, one of the things I did was this. I interacted with, with a handful of people in our church who weren't white, people of color. And we just had conversations, interactions around race. And one of the questions I asked was this. 
what would you like your church family to hear about this topic? What would you like us to hear, particularly those of us that are in the majority? What would you like us to hear? Here's what one of these individuals told me. Here's what he wrote. He said this. Those of us who are in the minority have to prove our good intentions rather than being given the benefit of the doubt. In the streets, in public places, in stores, at schools, and in the workplace. We worry about things that people in the majority don't worry about, like fearing for our children and and misunderstanding and work opportunities. And interestingly, this was a theme that I heard from multiple people. When I said, okay, what do you want our church to hear? And this was, this was a theme I heard. George, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that we worry about things you don't have to worry about. Now, that's personal. That's, that's not simply right debating public policy issues. That flows out of life experience. Likewise, I think there's some of you that are involved in law enforcement, or you have friends or family in law enforcement, And you would say this, George, over the last few months, things have gotten complicated for me or people in my family because it now seems that many presume that all police officers are racist and and I'm having to live with that. Furthermore, I think some of us would say, you know, this topic is uncomfortable for me because it seems some people simply assume I'm racist just because I'm white. So let's just acknowledge this this is hard to talk about because it's it's personal. And I'll just mention one other thing. It's hard to talk about because it can be confusing. For some of us, we would say, you know what? This is confusing because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to have these conversations. I'm not always sure how to engage someone who is from a different background. What if I say the wrong thing? Furthermore, I think for those of us as Christians, this can be confusing. Because at times, I think we we find ourselves really wrestling with, what does it look like to respond to these issues as followers of Jesus? Now, let me just be honest with you. I realize for some of you, the fact that we are talking in these terms, the fact that we are addressing this issue causes you to have concerns and doubts. You may be wondering, okay, is is our church going liberal? Are we trying to be politically correct? Are we simply going with cultural trends? And please hear me very clearly on this. The goal is not to go along with cultural trends. The goal is to engage this cultural issue from a biblical perspective. And that brings me back to something um, I talked about a couple of weeks ago. If you saw the message on, on politics, I talked about the importance of understanding the biblical storyline and being shaped by that storyline. And here's why I think that is so important. You see, everyone has a worldview, whether, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you consider yourself religious or not, everyone has a framework through which they interpret life, through which they try to make sense out of life. And for those of us who are Christians, if, if we are to engage these kinds of issues well, our framework, our worldview needs to be shaped by Scripture. It needs to be shaped by the storyline that is included in Scripture. So with that in mind, as, as we're thinking about this issue of race and all of the questions that come with it, let's now just kind of review very quickly again the major points in the biblical storyline and think about how they influence our understanding of these kinds of questions. 
So once again, when, when you start with the biblical storyline, we begin with creation. And in creation, among other things, we're not only confronted with the uniqueness and work of God, we're also confronted with the fact that we are created in God's image. We're created, with the, uh, we're created in such a way that we have human dignity. And underlying the strong biblical emphasis on human dignity is this creation account, the fact that all of us are created in God's image. This is one of the reasons that we are encouraged in Scripture to love our neighbors. Why? Because whoever our neighbors are, regardless of their background, age, ethnicity, whatever, they are created in God's image. So when we think about race from a biblical perspective, this is always where we have to start. We have to start with the doctrine of creation and the reality that we are created in God's image. But of course, very quickly, as you know, in the biblical storyline, we move from the wonder of God's creation to the fall and the entrance of sin. Interestingly, we see the entrance, right, of sin in the early chapters of Genesis. And as the story unfolds very quickly, we see the way sin pervades culture. It moves through culture, and we see the unraveling of the goodness of God's creation. And in the opening chapters of Genesis, this really builds to the the scene we know as the Tower of Babel. And after that act of rebellion, we see the dispersion of people groups, the development of different languages and ethnicities. And now the stage is set for racism. Now the stage is set for valuing one group over the other. And of course, as we are reading through Genesis, as we're reading through the narrative parts of the Old Testament, I've already alluded to this, but we see the pervasiveness of sin. As the storyline unfolds, we realize that sin doesn't simply affect the lives of individuals. We see it at work in groups. We see it at work in culture. We see it at work structurally. For instance, the Bible clearly recognizes in a variety of ways the way in which the systems of justice can be twisted or perverted or corrupted. Leviticus 19.15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Now, because of the pervasiveness of sin, as we read through the Bible, particularly as in the opening sections of the Old Testament, as we follow the storyline, we also see the importance of justice, both individually and corporately. We see, on the one hand, the need for justice interpersonally and relationally. But we also see the need for justice corporately and structurally. And along with that, I think in the Bible, in different ways throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophetic literature, even in some of the wisdom literature, we see the recognition of the need for those on the margins to be protected. We see the recognition that justice must be fair and those who lack power uh, must be treated fairly and equally. For instance, this is from Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So as as the storyline of the Bible 
unfolds. We see the wonder of God's creation, but now there is the reality of sin, and one element of that sin is the reality of racism, and we see that sin kind of is pervasive, affecting individuals and structures. So we see the need for justice that also it works individually as well as corporately. But even through these negative realities, even as we go through the Old Testament, we are also following the beginning of God's plan of redemption. And one of the interesting things about God's plan of redemption is this, right? Ultimately, God is working through one people group. He's working through Abraham and his descendants. But even as he's working through one specific people group, his plan is ultimately for the nations. His plan is ultimately to restore and redeem people from all tribes and nations and all people groups. For instance, listen to these words from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways, now notice this, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. May the peoples praise you. God, may all the peoples praise you. So from the very beginning, God's plan of redemption is a plan for the nations. It's a plan to bring together people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of ethnicities. And of course, this plan of redemption, right? It's building slowly through the Old Testament, preparing us for the work of Christ. Christ comes onto the scene in the New Testament. And one of the interesting things is as we follow his ministry, we see someone who crosses all sorts of cultural and ethnic boundaries. I mean, he takes his disciples into Gentile territory. He goes through Samaria. In other words, he is constantly crossing, in different ways, racial lines and racial barriers. Now, his work of redemption, right, ultimately is culminated through the cross and resurrection. And this work of redemption leads to the establishment of his church. The beginning of his church, the beginning of our movement, takes place in a radical way on the day of Pentecost. A day when people from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem. And miraculously, as, as the Spirit of God works in that moment, all of these people from multiple language groups, from multiple ethnicities, are able to hear the message in their own language. And in some ways, think about this, in some ways, the launch of the church in Acts chapter 2 is the reversal of the dispersion of people groups that follows the Tower of Babel. In other words, we see from the very beginning that God's church is to be a place that brings different peoples together. Not surprisingly, then, this becomes a major theme in the New Testament. So let's, let's just now come to Ephesians chapter 2. And when we come to Ephesians chapter 2, here's one way to outline Ephesians chapter 2. The first part of the chapter deals with our new life in Christ. It talks about the work of salvation. It begins by talking about the reality, the depth, the pervasiveness of sin, then the reality of God's grace. For instance, in this section of Ephesians, we, right, we have that very famous statement that for by grace are you saved through faith. But you may not have paid as much attention to the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. Because after talking about our new life in Christ, in some ways, Paul repeats some of the same themes he's just talked about. 
But this time, beginning in verse 11, he's talking about our new life in community. And this was very important for the recipients of this letter to hear. The, The evidence suggests that in this church, there were divisions, tensions between Jews and Gentiles. Even as there are all sorts of historical and cultural reasons in our context for racial tension, the same was true in the ancient world between Jews and Gentiles. And what Paul is saying is this by structuring um, his argument this way. He's saying, you know, not simply has, has God brought us into a new relationship with himself. He's given us new life in Christ. He's also brought us into new relationships with one another. In fact, ultimately, Paul says, you know what God is doing? He's, he's creating a new humanity. Look at this part of Ephesians. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now, please note, this is, this is really loaded ethnically. We would say racially. This is loaded terminology here. So he's addressing the Gentiles. You know who you are. He's talking about circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreign to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But here's what Christ is doing. Here's Christ's vision for his church. But now in Christ Jesus You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, now notice this, he's our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is an interesting turn of a phrase here. And arguably at the back of Paul's mind is the recognition that at the ancient temple in Jerusalem, uh, there was a barrier wall separating the outer court from the inner courtyard. Now, anyone could go into the outer courtyard, including Jews, uh, excuse me, including Gentiles, but only Jews were allowed into the inner courtyard. In fact, there were these famous inscriptions posted on this barrier wall that, in essence, threatened death to Gentiles if they crossed the barrier, if they went through the gate. It was like a huge whites-only sign. And now, Paul is saying Jesus has addressed the barrier that separates these two groups. Interestingly, notice this. As he's talking about this dividing wall of hostility, he continues this way. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So in talking about this barrier wall of hostility, this tension between these two groups, in some sense, he links it with the Old Testament law. Now, why is that? Well, I think there are multiple factors at work, but but one of them, I think, is this. Paul understood that for many Jews, the law had been a reason for them to look in a condescending way at other people. The law had become a reason for them to say, we have God's law and you don't. The law had become a way that furthered the hostility between these two groups. But now Jesus is doing something different. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. There's that term again, peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. 
So in different ways, Paul is envisioning, he's talking about the hostility between these different groups of people and says that has now been addressed through Christ. And Christ is our peace. I think here's one of the implications of of what Paul is saying. One of the implications is this, the church is to be a place where former enemies become family. The church is to be a place where people from different groups come together. And once again, this isn't about being trendy culturally. It's not about being politically correct. This is actually about embracing Jesus's vision for his church. So we've seen the reality of how we're created and the the results of the fall and, and God's vision for his church and restoration. And ultimately, that leads to the final moment of restoration in the biblical storyline, the, the new heavens and the new earth. And this is where the vision of church as being this place of reconciliation, this vision of church being a place where different people come together. That's where this vision is ultimately complete. So this is what we read in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is Jesus' ultimate goal for his church. This is where history is headed. So this framework, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, needs to shape our approach to issues of race. Now, very quickly then, let's just just kind of take these big ideas and and begin to talk a little bit more, very briefly, about living it out. And here are a couple of things I would say. First of all, I think in living it out, we need to avoid unhealthy approaches to the issue of race. And let let me just mention two. I think one unhealthy approach is to say, you know what, race is nothing. Yeah, it used to be a problem in our culture, but um, we're all past this. We're, we're now a colorblind society. We don't need to talk about this anymore. I don't know why people keep bringing it up. And yet I think to argue this is to overlook some of the ongoing implications of previous moments in our nation's history. Now, I realize... Um, I realize this this can lead to all sorts of conversations and debate about, you know, structural racism and that sort of thing. But, But I think the reality is this. I think at some level we need to acknowledge there are certain historical realities that have lingering effects for different groups. For instance, due to various factors, many of our communities are segregated racially and economically. And that has certain effects. It has a certain kind of impact on educational opportunities, on work opportunities. i got to be honest with you. I've experienced this firsthand. Let me just tell you a little bit of my story. When I started school, my family lived in Mobile, Alabama. We lived in a comfortable middle-class neighborhood, but my education started in an urban school, an urban school district. Very multi-ethnic and a school that faced the typical kinds of challenges that urban schools face. When we were in second grade, my family moved to Dallas, Texas. And with that move, I I went from an urban school to a more affluent suburban school with the kinds of resources that suburban schools have. And do you know one of the things I remember about that move? Here's one of the things I remember. I remember that when we got to Dallas, when I got to my new school, I was tested 
And what I remember is this. I tested into the lowest reading group in my class. I remember that because it was, it was a point of deep embarrassment for me at the time. Now, as things went forward, I gained my footing and I started to flourish academically. But, you know, sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I wonder about the other kids that were in my first grade class in Mobile. Would their lives be different if, if they had been given the same opportunities that I have been given? And the truth is, if you look at my life story, you will discover that there were some factors in my life that were tailwinds all along the way. Yet for other people, those same factors are headwinds blowing against them. So I don't, th- I don't think it, it's, it's helpful to simply presume that, well, you know, now that we've made progress, race is nothing. We're a colorblind society and race isn't an issue. But likewise, I think it is unhelpful to say, well, race is everything. If you read and study the issue of race carefully in American history, you will discover that there are those who argue that race is the sole grid through which all human experience must be interpreted. And for some of these interpreters, uh, life boils down to, to simply to those who are oppressors and to those who are oppressed. And I think ultimately in approaching these issues this way, many people end up denying aspects, elements of the biblical storyline, and they deny very different dimensions of human experience. So I think this approach is unhelpful as well. It's unhelpful to say, well, race is nothing. It's unhelpful to say that race is everything. So if, if, if this is something we should avoid, what, what should we do? Well, very quickly, let me just highlight a couple of things for you. First of all, I think engage in personal reflection. I would encourage you to do that. Whatever your ethnic background, what, what experiences have influenced your view of race? What experiences have influenced how you engage those who are different than you? I encourage you to kind of reflect on that. Another thing that I would encourage you to do is listen and learn. I mentioned earlier that in preparing for this, one of the things I did was have interactions with people in our church, people of color. And this was one of the things that I heard, one of the themes that I heard. George, be willing to listen. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, one person said, well, George, during the summer when these incidents were in the news, we had a couple of people just ask, how are you doing? How are you doing with this? And it it just spoke volumes to us, George. So I think being willing to engage others and and having conversations with someone who is different than you. And I think particularly we need to be doing that within the life of our church because remember, this is Jesus's vision that this should be a place where people from different backgrounds come together, where the barriers of hostility come down. So I think part of engaging this well is just being willing to talk to others, people that are different than me. And, and, and as these issues are in the news, being willing just to ask good questions. So what are your thoughts on this? How are you doing with this? What's your perspective? You know what? I realize these can be awkward conversations. But the fact that we are willing to engage them means that we're not overlooking things. We're not in ignoring issues. One person told me this, and this, this really... I thought it was provocative. She said, George, if the conversation is uncomfortable, it is probably the right conversation.
to have. So we need to listen and learn. And I think at times as you listen and learn, as we hear other people's perspectives and experiences, I think you will discover at times the need to lament, the need to grieve. The truth is, as, as we have these conversations, particularly for those of us in the majority, at times we may hear stories that surprise us, stories where we think that couldn't have happened, stories that make us uncomfortable. Yet, you know, when, when I hear people that I know in our church community, people that I've considered friends for years, people that I know and love, describe to me situations where they had to prove themselves in ways I would never have to prove myself. Ways in which they were treated differently because of their ethnic heritage. I want to stand with them. I need, I need to lament. I need to grieve. Just be willing to say, God, this, this, was, this was hard to hear. God, I pray for your justice to be at work in expanding ways. And I think lament is one of the ways I stand with others. Lament is one of the ways I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one of the ways I'm for them. And I think it is also a process that will help me develop empathy. Empathy for those whose life experience is at times different than my own. And finally, we just <laughs> we need to put faith into action. Simply put, that means this. We need to recognize as we seek to build bridges both inside and outside the church that at times this will mean crossing ethnic, cultural, racial divides. Will you be open to doing that? Along those lines, let me just mention two things that we're doing here in the church. Uh, As many of you know, we have an ongoing partnership with Downey Elementary, an urban school in Harrisburg. Now, that partnership has looked differently during COVID, but even now we're exploring how we can continue to support and partner with that school in an ongoing way. Also, and this is something you may not have heard about, we've been involved with a new Hispanic church in our region. And that church has now merged with a white congregation. It's, kind of a, it's just a great example of, of people coming together and what that looks like. It's a fascinating story, and, and here's just part of it. Watch this. I want to thank those guys for sharing that story with us. For me, it's just a fascinating story of living out Jesus' vision for his church. A vision where different groups of people come together. So my challenge to you is this. As we as a church seek to build bridges particularly in the season when, for so many reasons, we are divided. As we seek to build bridges, will you be open to the opportunities that God gives you to cross racial and cultural divides? For me, even now, there's, there's an opportunity just to develop a relationship with a colleague, a pastor, an African-American pastor in our community, and I'm wanting to seek to build that bridge. I realize you may think, well, George, you know what? This isn't really an issue for me. I'm, I'm not part of the problem. Even when I kind of examine my heart, I'm not part of the problem, and I get that. But the last thing I would like to say to you is this. Even if I don't see myself as part of the problem, am I part of the solution? So will you join us? Will you help us as a church 
to live out Jesus' vision for us as a community? Will you help us bridge the divide? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as, uh, as I said earlier, this issue for different reasons can be personal. And even as we've been listening together, I realize we can be all over the map in terms of how we think about this issue. But Father, I pray that in the midst of our own personal experience, whatever that experience has looked like, I pray that you would enliven us with your vision for your church, your vision for our church being a place where different kinds of people come together. Father, even now, as I look at our country, I'm absolutely convinced that what our divided country needs is a united church. And Father, I pray that we could be a place that, as we come together, bears witness to the power of the gospel to our surrounding community. And Father, I pray for all of us who've just worshiped together. I pray that this vision for your church would resonate so that we would be open to the opportunities you will give us to build bridges that cross this divide. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. I hope this is going to foster some interesting conversation for you. And let me just encourage you to join me. Even as we continue trying to engage a complicated cultural moment that can be divisive in so many ways, will you help us be the church? that lives out Jesus' vision? Will you help us be the church that bridges the divide? Amen.